and welcome to Screen Facts with Jason Davis. It's another episode with my good pal, the Blazer, Brian Berkowitz. Hey, thanks for having me back again, Jay. Been looking forward to it. One of my favorite people to do this with is you, definitely. So I'm excited for this episode, too, because we're going to talk about a fun movie that's pretty much summed up our youth. <laughs> 100% and, you know, kind of a scene that we sort of met each other in also. Exactly. So the movie we're going to talk about today is Rockstar. This is a movie that either you love it or you probably don't give two shits about it because it wasn't a big hit. But if you grew up during the hair metal age or whatever you want to call it, this is definitely a movie for you. I, first of all, think it's an excellent movie. I agree. Um, it, it touched on everything that I thought would be exciting about somebody getting a break like that. Yes. And uh, I, I don't know. I was able to channel the excitement. I thought Mark Wahlberg really uh, pulled off the role of uh, Chris Izzy Call. Excellent. And um, you know, it seemed like it came natural to him. I thought he was excellent in the role. I thought so, too. I thought he really captured the uh, the swagger of a frontman from that era. Like, amazingly, especially considering that he came from a different background, as we all know, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. He's great. He's actually one of my favorite actors. I, I like the stuff he does. Totally entertained by every movie that I've ever watched with the guy. And uh, I was very happy to have him in this movie, too. He was great in it. He's a pretty good actor, I think. This was probably one of his earlier movies. Uh, it came out September 7th, 2001. And I'm trying to remember the timeline of his career, but this was pretty early on for him, you know, which would make sense. I don't think this is a movie that he would probably do nowadays. Although, actually, what am I talking about? He did Ted, so. He did do Ted, but you know, so you it, never know. it's interesting. It's post Boogie Nights. Okay. Boogie Nights was probably 96, 7, 8, somewhere around there. This was a good movie for him. Um, I thought a good movie for Jennifer Aniston also. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that the problem with her is that, and I shouldn't even say a problem, I think it's a good thing. Her default position is Rachel Green from Friends. Um, and I feel like every time she tries to go against that, against right. type, I don't think she does her best work. And I'm thinking that, that she's probably a lot like Rachel, but I thought that she was fantastic and I thought there was excellent chemistry between the two of them. Yes. Which is interesting because you know who was originally considered for the role of Chris Izzy Cole? Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. So I don't know if it's because of their marriage. My understanding is they used to have this plan B productions and i think they bought like the time traveler's wife when they read the book i would assume that maybe the plan was for them to be in this movie together i don't know the timeline okay. of their marriage falling apart well george clooney was one of the producers and I, I know he and pitt are really tight so and also him and Wahlberg, they were in uh three kings together okay so i mean i kind of felt like it seemed like it was kind of a close all in the family kind of thing but i have to give mark Wahlberg credit for is that he got the metal faces down yes i mean i really believed him i mean this you know i'm guessing he wasn't sitting in front of his mirror when he was a kid listening to Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. Maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, you know, if you spent any time in front of the mirror listening to metal like I did, probably like you did, you know, you'd be comfortable making those faces. He actually hung out with a lot of the people that I guess he's sort of emulating in this role. He was, uh, uh, I guess, either friendly with Vince Neil from Motley Crue or just kind of got to know him and maybe hung out with him for, for research purposes. But he also went to some concerts, too. Could you imagine having to yeah. research a role and the role that you're researching is you get to basically be a rock star? Oh, it's... Come on. That's awesome. Yeah, so I, you know, I don't know what the critical acclaim was on this movie, how much money it made or not, but what I can tell you is this is something I'm... You know, I say this about certain TV shows. Like, for instance, I like MASH. No matter what episode of MASH is on TV, I never stop and say, oh, this one. Right. When I catch this on cable, I don't care where in the movie it is. It could be five minutes into it, an hour into it. 
Um, I stop and I watch the whole thing. There's no part of this movie I don't like. It's just a fun ride. The budget for this movie was estimated at about $57 million, and it grossed just under $17 million in the U.S. and over just over $19 million worldwide. So it didn't really do a lot of, of numbers at the box office. Maybe it made a decent amount on video, DVD, and Blu-ray sales. Now, I was going to ask you, because when we did the first podcast together for Night Shift a while back, we talked about, you know, how we know each other, which is we kind of met through like the band scene back in the 80s. Yeah, you know, back in the 80s, you know, I always tell people where I'm from, Rockland County, was basically like band land. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you went, there was a band and, you know, to, to up the ante to get to Bergen County and different parts of New Jersey, you know, every garage had a band playing in it. And, um... You know, we had a big scene. We had good places. We had the China Club. We had mm-hmm. Studio One. I mean, there was all these places that we were able to uh, go and hang out with like-minded people. And you know, yeah. we, we were all long hairs. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was a, it was it was a great time. And there was a lot of parts of this movie that touched into everything I ever hoped for myself. Right. And clearly didn't achieve. As I'm sitting here in a tie once again. And uh, well, go ahead. Yeah, but I'm just going to interrupt you. I mean, you're a successful lawyer. That's hardly a bad thing. Right. But when I was 14 years old learning how to play guitar, sure. I didn't say, oh, man, I can't wait to be a lawyer and tell of everybody I play not. guitar. Yeah. No, but it's um, the movie kind of hit things, everything I kind of would have liked to have been. Um, and, you know, there's certain, there's a couple key scenes in the movie that I get chills from every time I, I see them. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you probably can uh, come up with those also. I'm going to guess one of them is when he first gets an opportunity to audition for Steel Dragon and he's in the booth in front of the microphone and they roll the playback. Several times. Yeah. And like, you know, he kind of chokes on the first two passes, you know, and they're like, you all right? And then, and then he, you know, he looks at Jennifer Aniston, they lock eyes and she mouths, I love you. And then he nails it. Well, that that absolutely. I love when he says, "So you want the gig then?" Yeah. And uh, was it Kirk Cuddy was able to yeah. say that to him? So that one hundred percent when he sings, "We all die young," and yeah. uh, the character, you know, beyond nails it. You can see they're floored. My favorite part of this movie that I've discussed with everybody similarly situated, and I'll discuss with you today, okay. is uh, the first time when he goes up in the elevator on the stage. Yes. And right before he falls, and he stands up there, and he starts to scream, and the house lights go on, and you see that audience, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm getting chills right now thinking about it, because that right there, that was the sweet spot. That's what everybody wanted to achieve. Yeah. It wasn't at one point, maybe it was the tagline for the movie, the wannabe who got to be. Yes. I was. In fact, I was going to say that when you were talking about how you know you relate to the character i relate to the character the entire movie you know i relate to it because you know think about it rather than i think uh, other than kurt cuddy's character mm-hmm. you know throwing a wig on it and an actor they used you know people we know they real, used real rock stars right, yeah jeff pilson from dockin now in uh, foreigner right very good um, also a very accomplished producer mm-hmm. see we had uh bonham jason bonham jason on drums bonham, yep Zach Wild, who I've been thinking all day about saying to this, Zach Wild really cleaned himself and shaved to bring himself back to like the early '80s when he first came. To, yeah, because his movie's supposed to be about '85ish. Yeah, '85 exactly. Right. So he, uh, when he first joined Ozzy, he was clean cut. He yeah. had the long hair, and now he almost he looked a little bit like Randy Rhodes when he first joined Ozzy. Yeah, hundred percent. And who else? We had Blas Elias from Slaughter in mm-hmm. his band Blood Pollution mm-hmm. in the the tribute band. Right. Brian Vanderark from um, Verve Pipe was the bass player in that band. Yep. The singer from Third Eye Blind was actually. The, the singer that replaces him in the in the tribute band. Miles Kennedy uh, from Alter Bridge and Slash's band is the guy that Chris Izzy Cole pulls out of the crowd. Are you talking God of Thunder? Thunder! Right. <laughs> Thor, right? Thor, yeah. I think his name was Mike, but you, you can yeah. call me Thor. And you know, when I heard that, you know, Miles Kennedy is phenomenal. What a great, oh, what a great singer. Very in demand. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's like he's like the go-to guy. Oh, absolutely, and he was uh, he had a pivotal role in that too on that because you know he, everything came full circle and he was yep. looking down at himself on it. The movie was chock full of rock stars, was it? Oh, it was amazing. Some of the secondary characters, like some of the rock stars' wives, were played by kind of famous people. Rachel Hunter, Kip Winger's girlfriend, and Rod Stewart's wife, who yes. was stolen from Kip Winger. Oh, that's by interesting. Rod Stewart. That I didn't know. I didn't know that. And Carrie Stevens who was with Eric Carr for many years, too, uh, played Zach Wilde's wife in the movie. Now, two reasons that's awesome. One, because you can't have one of your podcasts. Without a Kiss reference. Absolutely. And um, I don't remember what the second one was, but the Kiss reference was awesome. (laughs) One other casting note I wanted to mention, too. The brunette of the, uh, the two girls that record Chris Cole's performance, Samantha is her name in the movie, is played by Kristen, the real-life wife of Kevin Richardson of the Backstreet Boys. Interesting. Which is, I think, kind of, you know, sort of ironic casting. Yeah, you have your whole New Kids on the Block connection here. Right, exactly. And, uh, and Mark Wahlberg, I believe, was an original New Kid on the Block and with his brother. And was did, he? I'm okay. I'm pretty sure and did not want to... Uh, follow through with it. Well, I mentioned, of course, before that Mark Wahlberg started as uh, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. And there's a great thing at the end of the movie where they're rolling playback for one of the concert scenes and they play the big Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch hit Good Vibration. So that's a funny little thing during the credits. Yeah. So, you know, I have a couple theories of, about this movie and I, and I realized also, you know, this movie is also a great love story if you think about it. Sure. When this movie first came out, it's when I first started dating my wife. Okay. And uh, we didn't have 8 billion DVDs, so we right. watched this over and over again. <laughs> so we have a lot of history with this movie. And I, you know, the more you look, the more you look at it, you see the chemistry and you see, you know, what was important to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it ended on a good, a happy, uh, you know, right. memory. And, you know, maybe to say it's, it was a love story, but it had a great love story angle to it. Right. Which um, mixed very well with, you know, it was kind of juxtaposed with the rock star life also. Yeah. I mean, you know. I think the the idea of having an opportunity to fulfill your career dream and then all of a sudden you realize that it takes away from your personal life. It's a good cautionary tale if you have to find balance. Well, it's also be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. You know, one of the things I liked also, I was very interested... Um, and we probably should discuss this movie, I don't want to say loosely based, but it was based yes. on um, Judas Priest. Very loosely based. Actually, um, I want to talk about that a little bit. Tim Ripper Owens, who who replaced Rob Halford and Judas Priest, after the members of Judas Priest saw a video of him singing uh, in a Judas Priest cover or tribute band or whatever. And listen, replacing Rob Halford and Judas Priest, that's a monumental task. Absolutely. That guy's got one of the greatest heavy metal voices ever. Still does. Still does. And very unique. He's back in Judas Priest now, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, I think the only similarities between the Judas Priest story and this, Ripper Owens was a copy repairman. Yeah, or an office supply store. Yeah, something something like like that. that. I'm pretty sure it was fans of his tribute band that sent Judas Priest. Something very similar. Yeah. And also, Bobby Beers, the metal god, turns out to be gay in it. Right. And that obviously is, uh, you know, Rob Halford's story as well. Yes, yes. And... um, you know, they, uh, well, this is this is what I know about this. You know, early on, uh, I spent a lot of, I was a big early internet guy. Mm-hmm. So when I heard this movie was being made, I did a lot of Googling and looking into it. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, 2001. Google's right. not what it was today. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong, and any of your listeners want to correct me, the original title of this movie was Metal God. That is correct. When you looked, I think it was on IMDb, the character was Tim Ripper Owens. In other words, I don't mean, I credited as the whoever, oh, wow. the, the role of whatever his was, 
you know, Tim Ripper Owens. As clear as day, I remember Metal God. Mm-hmm. And I think even at the end of the movie in the credits when they show the... Uh, yes, the, the theme, clapperboard. It says Metal Metal God. It does. And the reason that it, it became Rockstar was because they thought it would attract a, a wider audience if it wasn't just a metal movie. The other thing I liked about it was... Um, you know, his relationship with the guitar player from his original band, played by um, Timothy Oliphant? Yes. Do you remember what his song was they kept talking about? Hole and a Half. I'm proud as shit to have written it. And when they reconvened at the end, he says, hey man, I, could, I still could pull Hole and a Half out, or Hole and a Half still kicks ass. Before we get to that reunion in the movie, Chris realizes that getting everything you want isn't necessarily the best thing, and it's uh, kind of a sad thing. It was really sad because, you know, he had this woman that he loved, and he was torn between the two worlds. And that's uh, an interesting part of the movie, too, where, you know, he gets so caught up in the lifestyle of being the front man for this band and being a rock star that he it gets to the point where he literally doesn't even know what town he's in. Right. Anymore. I thought we're coming to see you're going to be in Seattle. We are in Seattle, Chris. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, he uh, doesn't even know where he is. Crizzy, right? Crizzy. Yeah, Crizzy. <laughs> and it's not and it's not even because just because he's probably, you know, wasted, even though he was in that scene. And by the way, uh, one thing I noticed watching that scene again was how well Mark Wahlberg played Wasted. Excellent. I love in the beginning of the movie when they're um, they're rehearsing, when Blood Pollution is rehearsing, and the camera kind of follows them down into the basement of this porn theater <laughs> to where they're rehearsing. I had never noticed the movies that were playing in the theater that were on the marquee until I just watched it the other night. They're worth mentioning. Das Booty. My favorite rear, and the best one, all that jizz. That might be one of those things I've noticed often but forget. So you mentioned that you and your wife got into this movie together. Did she enjoy the music as much as you did, the soundtrack? We used to love the song Blood Pollution. Oh, yeah. And I have the soundtrack. Yeah, I actually bought the CD of the soundtrack. Yeah, it's, it's I've great. I've been listening to it recently. I got right. kind of got into it. Again. I like Blood Pollution, mm-hmm. Long Live Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. I like Colorful, the Verve Pipe song that mm-hmm. he sings at the end. That is mm-hmm. fantastic. There's songs in the soundtrack from actual bands of that era. You know, Kiss, Lick It Up, Living on a Prayer, Bon Jovi, Wild Side from Motley Crue, Stranglehold from Ted Nugent are just a few of the, the actual songs that made it onto the soundtrack. There's a Def Leppard song also. Let's, Let's Get, Get Rocked. Rocked. Let's Get Rocked is in the movie, not on the soundtrack. A couple other things we didn't talk about. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I was 15, I went to uh, the Beacon Theater mm-hmm. and I saw Ingve Malmsteen. The band had Talis opening up for them with Billy wow, Sheehan, Billy of Sheehan. course. Mm-hmm. And a little side note, David Lee Roth on the side of the stage checking Billy out for his band. But it's probably, wow. not, yeah, but okay. interesting. But... The singer of Yngwie Malmsteen's band is actually one of my favorite metal singers, Jeff Scott Soto. He yeah. um, was in Journey for a time. Phenomenal singer. Yeah. Phenomenal. And, and, outstanding. And I believe his voice was Bobby Beers. Yes. And I'm going to let you pronounce the singer of Steelheart, <laughs> who was uh, Chris Izzy Cole. Milienko Matievich. Both guys are phenomenal singers. I, I agree. And actually, you know what? It was good they picked both of those guys because they're both phenomenal singers in their own right. They don't necessarily sound exactly the same, but they have strong voices. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, if I have to pick one, I have to say Jeff Scott Soto would be yeah. my favorite. But And also the song that he tries out uh, for Steel Dragon, We All Die Young, mm-hmm. is a Steelheart song. Oh, I didn't realize that. I know that Matievich co-wrote the song. Being a part of this soundtrack was part of a huge comeback for Matievich, too. He had a really bad accident. A lighting truss fell on him during a 1992 Steelheart performance, and he was out of commission for a few years and had a lot of memory loss, all kinds of issues, and he had to come back from a, a terrible ordeal. A pretty amazing story. So another high-profile singer was also a part of this movie. Sammy Hagar wrote the song Stand Up, which, if I'm not mistaken, is performed by both Bobby Beers and Chris Izzy Cole in the movie. It makes sense, right? He was just a regular guy who grew up with pictures of these guys on his walls. That's right. Now, now, one, now one of them. That's right. 
So, so awesome. Did your heart break when he takes the fall off the staircase? You know, it did 100%. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that he got himself up. Isn't it true that when they filmed that in front of a live audience, that they, they, at first they didn't realize that it was in the movie? They didn't realize that was actually the scene. And they thought, he, you know, there was something wrong. Right. And then I think I read once they realized that they didn't care that it was falling anymore. And you wonder if it was him or a stuntman who did the falling. You know, in last week's episode for the Blues Brothers, uh, Gabe and I talked about that how John Belushi took the fall in that desk down that flight of stairs. So who knows? Who knows? But I, I remember watching it going, oh, man, he's bleeding. Yeah. I don't know why that bothered me so much, but he was bleeding. There's a connection to this movie to This Is Spinal Tap. The rooftop locale where they announced Chris Izzy Cole as the new singer is actually the same rooftop where they have the tour-ending press conference and record company party in This Is Spinal Tap. I think it's the top of the Hyatt House Okay. in, in L.A. Also known as the Riot, the Riot House, House right? exactly, yeah. It's featured in... Uh, Almost, Almost Famous, famous. That's right. another great rock and roll movie. Oh man, that's another one that we should do for uh, for the podcast. Hundred percent. That that movie is outstanding. Also, we should mention because we do this every podcast. Uh, the film was written by John Stockwell, who actually had a career as an actor as well. He was in Top Gun and Christine, among other things, and it was directed by Stephen Herrick, who also directed Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Mighty Ducks, and Mr. Holland's Opus, among others couple of those movies did pretty well, so... The Mighty Ducks probably made a fortune. Yeah, I mean, there was a sequel. I think there were two or three of them, maybe. Were, were there? I know there was at least one sequel. So, you know, some, and there was a sequel to Bill and Ted. Excellent. Yeah, so, I mean, this movie, you know, if you're a fan of rock and roll, especially if you were a fan of something that came out, like, in the, in the mid to late 80s that had a lot of hairspray involved, this is definitely a movie you should check out. And here's a point to ponder. Mm-hmm. Think about now how big all these things are. You have uh, Hair Nation uh, satellite radio. You have mm-hmm. Eddie Trunk. He has a syndicated radio show, the mm-hmm. podcasts. You know, I think that there's a point in time for Kiss or for all these other other things that when when you're younger, for instance, Kiss merchandise. When you're younger, you can't afford it. It's now we're adults and we grab it up, and that's the stuff we're going to do. So now, as adults, if this movie came out in 2015, do you think it would do better or worse? Because I think we're kind of going through a renaissance of people being very sentimental for this. Uh, time period. I know I am. I think you may be onto something there, Blazer. I think that the time period that this originally, you know, was released, I don't know, the early 2000s. Because you didn't have a chance to miss it. I enjoyed this movie as much this week when I watched it to prepare for today as I did the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, you wonder how this movie would do today. And, you know, it's something I would have liked to have seen. I'm thinking back now, if this movie were coming out, I'd probably be more excited about it. Of course, they have three kids, and I'd probably have to wait for it to come out on home video to see it. I think that they captured everything that they set out to capture with this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to mention one other thing. Sure. There's a scene in the movie where um, the maid comes running out of the, the hotel room, and then they go in there, and everything is glued to the ceiling upside down. That actually is a story that's in the Kiss book, Kissery. Yep. I've read the book, and I know, about, know it well, too. I think Ace was involved in Supposed, that, was Supposedly, um, they were in a, in a hotel in Seattle, and Ace Fairley was bored, and he kept sending the road crew out to bring to get him super glue, and he glued all of the furniture, the TV, everything to the ceiling of the, of the room. He even glued an ashtray with a still-burning cigarette. So it's kind of cool that they put at least one real rock story in the movie. I guess we should probably also mention the name that they chose for the fictitious band in this film. Did they come up with Steel Dragon as the first name, or what were the ones that didn't make it? You yeah. know? Infected Blister, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, Steel Dragon is, is a total cliche. But it's awesome. Plus, it's probably meant to be an homage to Ronnie James Dio, who, of course, was the original vocalist of Long Live Rock and Roll by Rainbow, featured in the movie. 
overall, of all the movies you've been talking about, this one, like I said, holds a special place to me. Yeah, it's, me it's, too. it's kind of a timestamp in history to me. If we were Siskel and Ebert, I think we'd both give it two thumbs up. <laughs> Shandy gives it two thumbs up, too. She had thumbs. All right. She does not have thumbs. She does not have thumbs, my dog. All right. If I say we're talking about your dog, right? So yes, yes. What else have we, have we think about this movie? Just want to mention, I remember the first time I saw this movie, uh, I was living down in Virginia at the time. And I saw it with a friend of mine named Kim McKay, who uh, I worked with, who was also a big fan of this music. You know, that was one of the things that we bonded over. Yeah, I walked out of this movie wanting to see it again, which is always a good oh, yeah. sign. Absolutely. I can watch this movie anytime and enjoy it anytime. Agreed. It's a lot of fun. Thanks for inviting me for this one in particular, because like I said, this is really a, uh, a close to my heart movie and something I'm going to watch time and time again. And I enjoyed it again just as much today, as I said before, as I did the first time I saw it. Before we sign off, the band members, mm -hmm. some of them English, some of them not. Jason, oh, that's true. That's a Jason, good point, actually. Jason Bottom's character, mm -hmm. Kurt Cuddy English, Zach Wilde and Jeff Pilson's characters, not. That's true. And the fake English accent on Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, what was that all about? It was only part of the time that right. he did that. And then, he, and then don't you remember after the press conference, he's walking, oh, I had trouble with my English accent. No, oh, yeah. you, you did great. You did great. That's a cool scene, too, where they're at the press conference. The reporter says, can you hit all the same notes that Bobby Beers can? And he goes, oh, that's why I got the gig. And then and then he like he does the, he does the scream. And then they show his old bandmates. Timothy Oliphant just has this little grin on his face. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what? I actually almost felt like, you know, we may have our differences, but I love this guy. And yeah. it really was like, it was almost like if he could have screamed, oh, you know, like, yeah, you yeah. did it. Yeah. I, I agree. I noticed that also. And that's, you know, it's always a good friendship component in the movie. And we got to see that towards the end that the friendship yeah. was enduring. Yeah, exactly. They kind of came full circle, which is very cool. So, yeah, but that's actually a good tidbit to point out because I've noticed that since the first time I saw it too. Just a little yeah. smirk like this is awesome. Listen, most of us have probably dreamed of being rich and famous and living that kind of, you know, over-the-top lifestyle. Even if you didn't want to be a rock star, I'm sure you can relate to wanting to be a movie star on the red carpet, all that kind of stuff. This movie just captures that wonderfully, and it's it's really a lot of fun. So. It did, and it was fun discussing it with you, Jason. Thank you for having me again. Listen, man, anytime you want to be on, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm a participant and a fan. Hashtag screen facts. I appreciate that. Oh, we got to do a shout out to Adam, too. We did say we we're going to do a shout out to my very close friend, Adam Bronner, who for a brief moment was known as Adam X. Adam's been listening to the podcast and we talk about it often. And, you know, he was a uh, a willing participant during what we're going to call here the metal years. He was Absolutely. My, he'll be my friend since I'm five, was and is my partner in crime when it comes to music. So uh, he'll appreciate the shout out and uh, hopefully he's listening. Hey, if you have any thoughts about Rockstar or if you want to uh, comment on the podcast in general, send me an email to screenfacts at yahoo.com. You can also tweet me at Jason Davis Voice. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jason Davis Voiceover. Also, uh, rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. Help us get the word out about the podcast, please. Blazer, where can people find you on social media? Twitter at BerkLawBrian, B-E-R-K-L-A-W, Brian. Or BerkLaw.com. Check out my website, jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast. You can get info about the redesigned Screen Facts t-shirt. And you can also find out some of the other options of where you can download and listen to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Come on back next week for more Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Stand up and shout!